Welcome back to the Truth Matters Podcast. I'm Daryl Harrison, your host. We're going to pick up our conversation that we left off earlier with Cam Butel talking about evangelical syncretism. Cam, in the blog article titled Submitting to Feminism, this is another blog article in that series on evangelical syncretism. In Submitting to Feminism, there's this quote, It is no coincidence that the rise of feminism paralleled an unprecedented push for female clergy in Western churches. Sadly, many churches and denominations have looked for ways to accommodate feminism. The legion of female pastors filling pulpits today is the legacy of evangelical syncretists who were willing to marry ideology to scripture, unquote. Uh, here, Cam, I just my first question to you, I've got a couple questions for you. But my first question is, would you uh, take a moment to define egalitarian egalitarianism? What is that? Well, I think I think what's pro- perhaps most helpful is to contrast complementarianism with egalitarianism. The egalitarians are basically they're taking like Galatians 3, 28 mm-hmm. for there is neither Jew nor Greek, male mm-hmm. or female. Mm-hmm. We are all one in Christ. Mm-hmm. Taking that all the way and using it to clobber every other verse that okay. talks about um, gender distinctions yep. and just treat that as an all-encompassing um, issue for in the home and in the church that, that there is no distinction between what men and what roles they can perform mm-hmm. in those situations. That's the egalitarian worldview. The complementarian worldview embraces Galatians 3.28 but doesn't ignore what else Scripture says about the distinctions in what men and women can't do. The Bible is clear that women cannot be elders and right. teachers in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, they are to be primarily keepers of the home, mm-hmm. it says in uh, Titus. And and so we see distinctions there. And that's not devaluing. That's mm-hmm. not demeaning. But that's the key distinction between egalitarians and complementarians. And so egalitarians are people who are accommodating women preachers. In the pulpit, and and you see, it's interesting because again, it's not really textually driven. Like Galatians three twenty eight is not what's driving this. Galatians three twenty eight is their get out of jail free card. Gotcha, right? Yeah. So they're starting the feminism. They're they're um, intimidated by feminism. The 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 juggernaut of of feminism that that they came through um, in the sixties mm-hmm. and seventies. And decided, well, we have a, in Galatians three twenty eight, we have an out. Right, we can accommodate this. We yeah. just take this verse, and then we basically use it to um, eradicate or cancel out all the other things the Bible says about this. Yeah, and allow women to do everything that men do. We're constantly looking for loopholes, aren't we, Cam? Yes, the, you know, I in Isaiah sixty six two, I was just looking at this. You know, there's a, who is who is the man who catches God as attention, and the man who trembles at His word. Hmm. And the question which asked, do we tremble at his word or do we look for loopholes? Yeah. And yeah, they are. They're looking for ways out, way around it. Yeah. And and it's it's a fool's errand. Yeah. It's a fool's errand. You know, we don't write the Bible and, and it's not we're not editors yeah. of God. Right. He has spoken and he has given us his word. Not subjective, mm-hmm. objective, objective truth. In that same article on uh, submitting to feminism, uh, you mentioned Craig Keener and Gordon Fee. Yeah. Who are those guys? They're both scholars mm-hmm. who have taken the egalitarian worldview, and they're trying to make Scripture dance to their tune. Um, so, And Gordon Fee especially is a very respected commentator, and he's written many helpful commentaries. But um, 
really they i think the the fee quote in there he's basically when he gets to paul in 1 corinthians 14 um he when paul talks about women not being able to teach um gordon fees out of that is he doesn't think paul wrote it mm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> he, yeah even though, even though yeah it's uh it's interesting because you know all the all the it's in a, he admits it's in all the manuscripts mm. but he just doesn't think paul wrote it you know wow. he's 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 found a variant, a textual variant in there, and so he's trying to find a, a, a way, a way around it. Does he suggest who wrote it? If no. he doesn't think Paul wrote it, he doesn't suggest who wrote it. It's a later edition, but he doesn't think Paul would say that. Okay. You know, and again, you know, they're being God's editors. Mm-hmm. It isn't for us mm-hmm. to monkey around with that, right? Right, and he's doing that, but but it reveals again that he is so committed to that egalitarian worldview that he has to drive his square egalitarian peg into the round hole of Scripture. Is Fee in that same camp with Wright with regard to the new perspective on Paul? Is he still in that MPP camp with with Wright? I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't read a lot of Fee, but I just know a lot of people have respected what he's And he has said some helpful things in certain areas, certainly. But um, on this, yeah, because he's committed to that, and he is a charismatic, which allows for them. So so he has to try— and make it work. That's a desperate grab for a loophole. You know what? I would respect egalitarians a lot more if they would, if they had the integrity to just say, you know, we just think Paul was wrong. We just think the apostle Paul was wrong on this issue. They'd be dead wrong, but I, right. but at least they'd have some integrity. Yeah. Because what's really embarrassing is the the desperate measures they go to to try and make the Bible say what it clearly doesn't say. Right. And again, even their arguments with context, you know, oh, you have to understand the context Paul was dealing with there. Well, actually, in First Timothy 2, he refers back to Adam and Eve. Yeah. You know, that the context is universal. Yeah. It applies to every Everybody. descendant of Adam mm-hmm. and Eve, which you and I are. Yeah. You know, uh, that blog article, Cam, on submitting to feminism closes out with these words. For leaders who would kowtow to the pressure of society, it is disingenuous to espouse to espouse an inerrant and authoritative biblical text while playing fast and loose with its contents. Kind of like what you said, we're editing God now. Oil and water do not mix, and neither does God's word with ungodly ideologies. The true student of Scripture must be willing to listen and submit to it rather than correct its author when he, that is God, violates our cultural sensibilities, unquote. Now, my question to you, Cam, is why is is the church, which Christ declared in John 17 is not of the world, why is the church trying so hard to be like the world? John MacArthur talks about this so much. You know, if, if we are going to be friends with the world, we are enemies of God. Mm-hmm. But somehow, um, I, I think, and, and I might, I might expand on this more in the seeker versus sinner yeah, post gonna, when we talk mm-hmm. about that. But they really think that the world's problem is persuasion mm-hmm. that that we need to persuade sinners into the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. That they just don't have the education mm-hmm. to follow Christ. Right. The problem is not their sinful nature the the problem they don't need to be miraculously regenerated right do we really believe that conversion is something that can be humanly engineered or is something that where we are to be faithful to what we are called to preach and to trust god to ex nihilo out of nothing yeah. create the new believer don't you think cam when we take 
if we take regeneration out of it, doesn't that just reduce the gospel to moralism? Yeah. And then that puts that puts the gospel on every other level with every other works based works based uh, salvific uh, worldview that's out there. It reduces the gospel to just moralism, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. We're trying to cater to the whims of society and, and please people and not offend them. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, if if you have no offense, I, I, this can be you can take this to the bank. If your preaching doesn't offend anybody, you know, or there is no offense in it then it's not the gospel. Isn't that the irony of ironies, though, when you talk about uh, Christ and uh, uh, who, who was murdered on a cross because he offended uh, the establishment Pharisees, uh, that here we are now as professed followers of his concerned more about not offending anyone? I should add that we shouldn't be looking to offend people. Of I'm not, course. I'm not trying—and it's ridiculous that we even have to say it. Right. But we do have to say it. We always have to add these caveats. I think that was my, that look on my face, that we had to even say that. Yeah. We, we have to add these caveats. But, of course, we're not looking to—but the message itself is offensive. Right. And it is offensive because it's saying you're guilty right. before God. Right. And you can't do anything about it. Right. You need someone to do that for you. And, and so we— when people are trying to accommodate the world, they are really admitting that they don't have a lot of confidence in the power of God to change people, in the power of the message preached. You know, um, you may disagree with me here, uh, Cam, but it's my experience, especially in the circles that I've been um, um, allowed to sort of trample around in um, the past year or so, Um I'm convinced that most people who profess to be Christians, they really don't know the gospel, what the gospel is. They don't know it as a regenerative, regenerative, monogistic, supernatural work of God in the heart. They really see it as moralism. They see it as a behavioral uh, type of thing. So now you have uh, uh, within the church now the t- tone equals truth. Uh, like you were saying uh, um, earlier, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's an approach to uh, not be offensive, to be nice, uh, to uh, uh, exhibit the proper demeanor in what you're saying and saying it with the right tone, that, that that tone makes the gospel effectual in the heart of the person, not God. So it's not it's not a supernatural regenerative thing that has to happen by the power of the Spirit of God. We can affect that uh, as long as I'm nice enough to you. Have you ever had anyone say to you, Daryl, it's not what you say, it's how you say it? It's how you say it. But when you really press deeper and deeper into the issue. What do you find out? It's it what is, you said. It, it is what you said. said. It is what you said. You Ultimately, can say it as nice said. as you like, and they're still going to be offended by it mm-hmm. because, yeah, people are making truth judgments based on how they feel about mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. I'll go back to the Bereans. I was, I was reading John MacArthur's uh, commentary, um, and he was talking about the Bereans mm-hmm. and how that they were more noble than other believers because they searched the scriptures daily mm-hmm. to see that these things were true. Mm-hmm. And, I always focused on the fact that they searched the scriptures daily, but also shouldn't miss that point to see if these things were true. Their assessment of truth was not based on their feelings. Right. It was based on whether it lined with scripture. So they saw an objective truth and they, they kept it separate. Yeah, you know, we're seeing that all the time now that I don't like what you're saying, therefore it's yeah, not true. Right. We're seeing it in the church. We're seeing it on university campuses. Mm. We're seeing it in the political sphere. Right. This is this is going on and on all the time. Just how do we feel about this? And we can't offend anybody. Yeah. And you know what? If you can't offend anybody, then tolerance can never be practiced because tolerance demands 
a different right. difference of opinion, yeah. a difference, a disagreement. Right. If we agree on absolutely everything, then tolerance is something that I never get to practice. Great point. That's a great point, Cam. Speaking of seeker versus sinner, let's go ahead and wrap up with that blog article, Seeker versus Sinner. A quote that I want to take from that one, Cam, before I follow up with a question, says this, sometimes the only thing we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. The 1,500-year-old heresy of Pelagianism is just one example. So we alluded to that term Pelagianism before. So my first question for you, Cam, is if you could take a couple seconds, uh, just define for our audience uh, uh, what Pelagianism is and who was Pelagian. The fundamental question on our nature, on our anthropology is, is, are we sinners because we sin or do we sin because we are sinners? Mm -hmm. That distinction is really important. Mm -hmm. And Pelagius was arguing that you're a sinner because of your sins. You're born morally neutral. You right. don't have a sinful nature. You become a sinner when you start sinning. Right, But we know, biblically, that we have a sinful nature, and the sins we do are an extension of who we mm -hmm. are from birth. Mm -hmm. And that's a big red flag, a big red flashing light God gives us to show us that we need a Savior, mm -hmm. that there is a problem, that something is wrong in the created order, mm -hmm. that the curse is in effect. Mm -hmm. And that's something that catches our, our attention. And so, yeah, the Pelagius really thought the problem that we're morally neutral and the problem is that people can be reasoned into the kingdom of God. Yeah. And so we see practical Pelagianism all the time mm -hmm. because people think that this, you know, like Bruce Waltke, yeah. the quote I, I, I referred to earlier where he said that, you know, people will think we're stupid if they find out that, that evolution's true. They're not going to, we're not going to have any credibility. You know, that again is that same idea that the problem is that we need to be respected, mm -hmm. that we need to reason with these people, that mm -hmm. their chief problem is not that they're dead in sin mm -hmm. and they need God to raise them. Yeah, You know, you think of Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones. Mm -hmm. He's in the Valley of yeah. Dry Bones. Can these, Ezekiel, can these bones live? Ezekiel 37, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, Lord, you know. Mm -hmm. He didn't know. He didn't know. You know. Yeah. And what was Ezekiel, raise these people from the dead? No. Mm -hmm. No, no. Preach to them. Mm -hmm. Preach them what I tell you, and God brings life. See, I, I think your your reference to uh, Ezekiel 37 just kind of brings to my mind, Cam. Again, you may disagree with me on this, but I'm just finding that um, many professing Christians that I engage in and, and, uh, and talk with, they just don't believe the gospel is powerful. They don't believe the gospel was, is what it says uh, it is uh, by virtue of Paul, for instance, in First Thessalonians, where he commends the Thessalonians that when they heard the gospel that was brought to them, they didn't accept it as the word of man, but they accepted it for what it really was, Paul said, the word of God who works in you who believe, Paul said. The gospel works in you who believe, but I don't think we believe that anymore. We don't believe the gospel is powerful, inherently powerful enough to do what the gospel says it does. Hence all the syncretism. All the smoke and mirrors. Yeah. The seeker sensitive yeah. movement. Yeah. Is based on that. Think about that is that is you've got a whole movement mm -hmm. and you're thinking Robert Shuler yeah. starting out by surveying people in Orange County mm -hmm. and then the, the more professionally marketed um, next generation of Bill Hybels and Rick Warren, um, people who really think that 
you know, the whole idea of seeker sensitive is just flawed because the Bible says no one seeks after God. If you right. want to be seeker sensitive, then be sensitive to the one who right. seeks and save the lost. Right. We need to be more sensitive to what God is saying, not right. what people want, because we don't know. We're fallen, and we need to awaken their conscience to the their guilt. Yeah. And, they need, and, and we don't like to talk about guilt. It's a therapeutic culture. Right. And so, again, if we're going to accommodate the culture, we have to find other ways, at least in their mind, to um, attract people, to make the gospel attractive. And what you end up doing is you're attracting them with something other than the gospel. You know, God's been the seeker since the Garden of Eden. Yes. Right? Yes. He sought out Adam and Eve. What did they do? They hid. Yes. They hid themselves. So even going going back to Genesis again, here we are in Genesis. God was always the seeker, wasn't he, Cam? I think in the last podcast I talked about those gospel tracks that I really hate. Yeah. The ones where they you've got here's you, here's God. There's this gulf yeah. between you, and here's your good works. Yeah. See, they don't make it all the way across. Yeah. Here's you trying to get to God, and you can't get there. No, no, no. You're not even trying to do that. Yeah. You're running as fast as you can the other way. Yeah. yeah. And God grabs us. Yeah. He grabs out, he, he, he comes and, and, you know, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. Yeah. The one, uh, you talk about gospel tracks that you hate. Well, this, the illustration that always sort of perturbs me a little bit is the one where, you know, you're drowning. You're in the ocean drowning. Oh, yeah. I've swum as far as I can to, to Christ. Now I've swum as far as I can, but now I'm drowning. I've, I'm holding up my last three fingers and then there's Christ on the, on the, uh, just miraculously appears and then just pulls you, uh, out of out of the ocean, out of your situation, out of your predicament, but at least you were able to swim that far. Yeah, and that's like the Galatian heresy. Yeah, that's like Roman Catholic heresy of adding adding works. You yeah. know, doing your bit. Yeah, no, he's glorified because he does it all. Right, we don't do anything. Yeah, and, yeah. and so and so yeah, we preach the the gospel of the reformers, the the gospel of the doctrines of grace, mm-hmm. of what many of us call Calvinism, mm-hmm. is is the one where God is most glorified. Yeah. As I, I don't have a Calvinistic background, but as I considered the doctrines of grace, I remember thinking, what brings God most glory? That's not the only question you ask, but I did think about that, mm-hmm. you know, and I could say, yeah, this is the one that brings God, because he does it all. It was the doctrines of grace, or your exposure to the doctrines of grace that raised that question. Yes. Right, Cam? Because beforehand, yeah. that question hadn't even been raised in your mind, right? No. I was, I guess at best I was confused. Right. I didn't understand. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I see that, yeah, we can't do anything. And, and, you know, the thief on the cross, the penitent thief on the cross, we we can't imagine a worse place to be than nailed to a cross. Right. But he actually is in a good place mm-hmm. because he's brought to the point where he realizes there is absolutely nothing he can do. There is no good works he can do to compensate for anything he's ever done in the past. There is um, no loops that hoops that he can jump through to please a deity he can only cry out lord remember me when you're coming to your throne and 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 remember too that the the penitent thief on the cross said i'm getting what i deserve bingo how often do we hear that today yeah take a look on facebook you you won't see anybody saying that i'm wrong i'm getting what i deserve yeah now people are doubling down on their sin so the thief was in a good place because we realized that yeah you know what we agree with god about ourselves. we agree with god about his wrath we agree with God. You know what? I deserve that. That's what I should get. And and he doesn't give that to me. That's his grace. And the question, you know, you bring up the penitent thief on the cross. You have to understand also that the the penitent thief, rather, in saying, 
that, yeah, we're getting what we deserve. He said that to the other thief in response to the ridicule that the other thief was hurling at Christ. So the penitent thief said that to the other thief, said, listen, no, this man has done nothing wrong, but we're getting what we deserve. And you have to ask yourself, well, why didn't his acknowledging that, that they're getting what they deserved, why didn't that impact the heart of the other thief? Yeah. Why? why because not? yeah, because God had God had Bingo. done a work. Exactly. Absolutely. God had changed it. Exactly right. And he, he gets our attention. That's exactly where I was going with that. And people say, well, that just makes us puppets. No, well, there are there are concurrent realities in mm. scripture. And I think of, you know, I quoted John six forty four before, mm. you know, Jesus said, you know, no one can come to me unless the Father sent me draws him. Just a just to the same audience, just about forty verses earlier, Jesus said to him, You refuse to come to me that right. you might have life. You refuse to come to right. me. It's your fault. Yeah. It's all on yeah. you. But he says, but you can't come to me unless you can't. I draw you. So both live together. Mm-hmm. And so we don't, um, one doesn't cancel out the other. Right. It's a both hand. It's not an either right. or. And so, yeah, we call, we command people to repent, but we know that they can't repent unless God has regenerated them. But mm. even even on repentance in these seeker sensitive churches, they're not going to call people to repent. They don't. They want something that costs less. Mm-hmm. They want to lower the bar, widen the gate, mm-hmm. and so that's what this is about. And, and assuming that unbelievers are looking for God, yeah, you know, which is just again to think about that that this whole movement where they had conferences every year with just thousands of people, pastors from all over the world attending this for the secret to how to grow their church, yeah ignoring that Jesus said, I will build my church yeah. and also that no one seeks after God. Yeah. You know, so the whole, that whole movement was just built on just a clear fallacy, a clear yeah. biblical fallacy. It yeah. just amazes me. And it went on. It's still going on. Sure. I mean, listen, we have to admit this, a tough truth to admit, but within evangelicalism, uh, we can be really faddish. I mean, we will latch on to the latest fad especially when it comes to a church growth strategy, we'll latch on to the latest fad like that. And then these fads always burn out. They burn out about as quickly as we latch on to them. And then you're still left at ground zero with the same question. Here you are, are, are uh, people who will say to themselves, well, I'm seeking after God. So the faddish preacher or the faddish uh, uh, minister, the, the faddish church leader doesn't have an answer for that once the fad burns out. I, I recently heard a sermon from John MacArthur from 1969. Mm-hmm. 1969. Year one at Grace Church. He, the year one at Grace Church. And you know what? It was great. I mm-hmm. could listen to it. There wasn't anything embarrassing about it. I know most preachers I know of, if I said, can I hear a sermon from five years ago or 10 years ago, they'll scramble over themselves for me mm-hmm. not to because they're caught up in the fad at that yeah. time. The sermon is dated mm-hmm. because they're into some mm-hmm. trend. You know, you get them 10 years in the prayer of Jabez. Yeah. You know, that's gone now. Yep. And so we have these fads and we get caught up in them, but they date our preaching and, and we're caught up in the fads. So that's sort of limiting the longevity of what we're saying. Yeah. That's why MacArthur's sermons have longevity because they're not bound to time. He's doing the same thing. Yeah. That may sound boring. The same thing, man. He's doing the same thing over and over again. You know, he is basically, he is reading the word and explaining the word. Mm -hmm. He is submitting to the author Mm -hmm. and just trying to convey what the author is telling us. Yeah. You know, I think about um, one of my favorite chapters in the New Testament is John 4. We we alluded to John 4 earlier in our conversation, but 
Um, I'm just thinking about the Samaritan woman at the well and how uh, her interaction with Jesus uh, uh, just sort of piqued her heart so much that she ran away to tell her other fellow Samaritans, Samaritans, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Yeah. See now, now the contemporary Samaritan woman here in 2021 will say, come see a man who made me really feel good about myself. And, and you know what? They begged him to stay. They begged, and he did stay. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because again, you see the sovereignty of God because of the Gadarenes, the, the demoniac, yeah. cast him out. They want him to leave. Yeah. The man's yeah. in his right mind and preaching yeah. and they say, go. Yeah. They want him out of there. And, and, and what an indictment to that story of the woman in the well, the, the Samaritan, is that they beg Jesus to stay and mm-hmm. Jesus goes back to Israel and they want him to leave. Yeah. And actually, he fed, he fed the people at the wedding, mm-hmm. and he fed he fed the Israel people, you know, in the in the wilderness. He fed them, and so he was doing things for them. Jesus didn't give give those um, Samaritans anything; right. just his teaching, and That's they all... wanted him to stay. They wanted him around for that, right? Just his teaching, and then that chapter ends by saying that they the other Samaritans believed him because of the word yes. that he spoke. Exactly. The word, again, proving itself to be powerful. And he goes back to Israel and they're saying, can you do another trick with the food, yeah. with the loaves and the fishes? Yeah. Could yeah. you pull, Could you do that one yeah. again for us, please? Yeah. And then maybe we'll believe. Yeah. You know, trying to extort him. They were still asking for tricks from Jesus as he was hanging on the cross. Yeah. Bring yourself down from the cross so that we might believe. And look, here's at the root of this and syncretism is that people want a God on their terms. Yeah. You know, in the beginning, God created man in his image. Ever since then, man's been trying to return the favor. Yeah. And so they want a God on their terms. Syncretism is blending of things of a God that appeals to my taste. Well, see, my question, Cam, to that is, that sort of rationale is, if you, if, if you want a God on your terms, why do you want a God, period? You're really saying, I am... I am my sovereign. Hello. Exactly. I am my sovereign. It's exactly. on my terms. Exactly right. You think exactly about the farcical right. of people, they have their God and then they carry it around. Yeah. Okay, with time to move the God to somewhere else. Yeah. You know, like, like that, behold the power of their God. Yeah. 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 That's right. People want a God um, on their terms and so they want to conform him to their image. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what syncretism ultimately is about, is accommodating uh, things to make him different yeah. to alter him, to change him. And, you know, it's interesting because if you look at the first two commandments, um, the the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. the first one is the Lord is God. Mm-hmm. He is He is supreme. You shall have um, no other gods mm-hmm. before you. And then the second one is about idolatry. Mm-hmm. Now, why wouldn't that be redundant? If you've already said there's one God, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. and there's no other gods— then why do we have why have a second commandment? No yeah. idols. Because obviously, isn't that implicit in the first? Yes. Aha. Uh-huh. Interesting. But what did when Aaron made the golden calf, he said, This is behold Israel, the God who brought you out of Egypt. Yeah. So in other words, he made an idol out of the one true God. So just to be aware of that, that that's what this is. That's what syncretism is. Yeah. It's not it's about fashioning God rather than yeah. it's not just having an a substitute God, but it's taken the God of the Bible and then fashioning him into your version, your preferred version of him. I'm smiling here because that account in the Old Testament where Aaron uh, makes the uh, the uh, the calf out of gold, he does the he does that out of their request of him 
to make us a God. I yeah. just, I just, I just found that whole idea, that whole request, hilarious. It is make us a God. Well, <laughs> I mean, Yermit <laughs> Laban chases yeah. after Jacob. Yeah, he, why is he chasing? Because they have his idols, right? Yeah, and he says, "I want my idols back." He said. <laughs> But I'm not going to kill you or hurt you because the living God appeared to me last night and he told me not to harm you. Now, give me my idols back. (laughs) What is that? That's hilarious. I laugh at that too because I just think that people, uh, the blindness of sinfulness. Yeah. He encounters the living God. Laban encounters the living God and he wants his idols. Now, give me my idols back. There's just so much contradiction and hypocrisy intrinsic to syncretism that until you take time to sort of peel back the layers, you really don't see it. And I think that's one of the reasons it's so attractive is because the uh, the contradictory nature of it is so subtle. Well, it's a path of less resistance, mm-hmm. right? This is an easier way to go. If I take the old earth view, people aren't going to think I'm crazy and I'll have, I can go to the university and they won't, you know, I can, I can maybe teach a class there and they're not going to laugh me out of, out of this. So I have some respect there. And that's a that's path of less resistance than making myself a pariah by being faithful to the word of God. Or the cost that goes with that. Right. Of of, of being hated by the world. That it's far easier to appease the world than pay the price of being um, an enemy of the world, of being hated by the world. Let me ask you this, Cam, as we wrap up uh here on the Truth Matters podcast, if I were to ask you why should our audience, our viewers and our listeners right now, why should they take the time to go out to gty.org and read this series on evangelical syncretism? Why should they take the time to read these blog posts? Because these things can be subtle and they they can bleed into churches. It doesn't like happen overnight. And so it's it's a good place to just examine again, where am I at and what is my confidence really in the word of God? Have I imbibed some of these ideas unwittingly? So it's good uh, to check that also to, for that reason, for examining ourselves, but also because it's going to encourage your confidence in the Word of God, that no one's ever refuted it. No one has found any errors in it. And what we see today is exactly what God said mm-hmm. in the beginning. We see seasons. We see day following night. We see animals reproducing after their own kind. We see that people are sinners. We mm-hmm. see that people need a savior. We can trust God at his word. And it's a great reminder that we don't need to dress it up. And we don't need to be really smart. We don't need to be clever. Right. We have the gospel, which is the power of God. Mm-hmm. And so, and God is the one who changes hearts. And you know what? That is so liberating mm-hmm. to understand that I don't need to be intimidated by someone who's smarter than me yeah. because you know what? His problem is not intellect or education. His problem is not lack of education. It's love of sin. Right. And I can minister to that. Right. You know what else? And if God is going to save him, God will save him. Yeah. And I have to make sure that I'm faithful to the message God has called me to preach. It's not rocket science. And we don't need to complicate things and we don't need to mm. make the narrow gate into a wide gate. Mm-hmm. Just be faithful. And, and I think the series will be a great encouragement for that, as well as to examine ourselves and even our church context. Yeah. Are we acquiescing to some of these worldly agendas yeah. that are coming in? Are we blurring that line again, going back to John 17? They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Are we embracing things or are we imposing foreign ideas onto the biblical text uh, because that's popular or because the world is saying that we should? 
and, and we can sort of speak disdainfully about that, but it's easy to do. Yeah. And you can unwittingly do it. Mm-hmm. And, and you can, and, and these things can be gradual mm-hmm. and imperceptible. Let me ask you this uh, as we uh, wrap up here on the Truth Matters podcast. Is there, a re- is there one resource from John that you would recommend our audience uh, take advantage of? Is there a book or a sermon series in addition to this blog series on evangelical syncretism? You know, I really like the book, The Battle for the Beginning. Okay. There's several I could mention. I'll just mention that one just because if we have confidence— that Genesis is right and we can take it at face value. We have confidence everywhere else. Yeah. And in that book, he's going to show you that we can have confidence that we can read it plainly and understand it. Anyone can understand what God is saying there. Mm-hmm. And we don't need to be intimidated by these academic, supposedly academic ideas that yeah. people are trying to impose. On things. We don't need to be intimidated by them and they just don't hold water. Yeah. And that's encouraging. to That book, The Battle for the Beginning, I think is a great starting point because it deals with the starting point. Mm-hmm. And if we get the starting point right, we can have that carry that confidence right the way through to Revelation. Cam, thank you for joining me again on the Truth Matters podcast. Love having you with us today. Thanks for your time. And thank you also for joining us on this episode of the Truth Matters podcast. Catch us again on the other side, and we'll back, be back with you with another episode of the Truth Matters podcast. Thank you so much.